Well, welcome to episode 14 of Becoming an Elite Financial Advisor with Sten Morgan, where we help financial professionals like you recognize and reach your potential faster. At the core of your business are meetings with clients. So how can you become a master of meetings? What are the meeting skills that elite advisors use to gather the right information from potential clients to uncover their most important needs? What are the skills you need to use to build trust and rapport and to communicate your professionalism and your insights and to close deals so that you can grow your business? Well, today we're going to talk through seven meeting skills of elite advisors. Here's my conversation with Sten Morgan. Welcome to the podcast. My good friend Andy Traub here with me today. I appreciate that. Which part? That you're here or that you're my friend? You're my friend. We're friends. <laughs> nice. We're friends. We're friends. We're friends. Well, I'm excited about today's episode. Um, this is often talked about in the industry with coaches. Um, and, most, cl- and cliches. Coaches and, and Full cliches. of cliches, yes. <laughs> and I think that's uh, what we want to battle today is, is the seven meeting skills of elite advisors. I think every advisor knows that they must do something different. They have a higher close rate. Clients pay them more, transfer more assets. Like what is what are those things that if you could focus on – you know, short of the cliche things, but like that can become superpowers in a meeting. Yeah. So the challenge of this is how can you really be that different? I mean, it's like, oh, I sing in my meetings. Like, no, we're not talking about that different. But but there are distinct differences that are transferable uh, to advisors. So we've actually got seven. And so let's just start with this. And, and I think these go in order as the meeting progresses. But the, the first one is... Um, don't have a predetermined outcome. You have to have service, a service first mentality. And you actually came up with this. Um, do you want to do the characters? Oh, yeah. I love it. Uh, <laughs> we were trying to do it for every point, but we stopped we couldn't after do it. one. We're yeah. like, okay, we'll do it. But this is a great, the, the two different kinds of characters uh, uh, that sort of have different personifications when it comes to leadership. So the healthy kind of service first is who? Gandalf. Gandalf. So if you don't know who Gandalf is, then turn off this and go watch all the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You only need 12 hours. That's right. <laughs> um, but but yeah, Gandalf, so what are the characteristics of Gandalf? Why was he a great leader? He knew it wasn't about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was wise, soft-spoken, mm-hmm. you know, it was just his, his- But still had a lot of power when he needed it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He didn't force Frodo, right? He said, you know, you, you, it, it's coming, I need you, right? Yeah. But it's up to you, buddy, right? Yep. Uh, he was a caring protector and he did have a plan, right? Mm-hmm. He had a lot of wisdom. Um, and then, and then there's, I thought of this one because <laughs> I have younger, I don't know what it is, but anyway, uh, is the big, big bad wolf, right? And the big bad wolf has an agenda, right? Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, come and have dinner with me. I remember, I love reading this book with my kids about, you know, and then the pig is the dinner, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, when you said have dinner with you, that's what you meant. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, except that we're talking about people who literally go around and they prey on people. They say, oh, I want you to be my client. What does that really mean? Yeah. You know, is that I'm going to take advantage of everything I can with you uh, and get the most out of you as I can. That's the big bad wolf. And Whereas, I think the industry, like when I started in the insurance side of it, if if you enter a business and your primary skill set has to be sales, yeah, and they reinforce that in you that it's less about you having uh, a high level of knowledge or uh, running a great business. <laughs> yeah. It's like here's five things, go figure out how to sell it. Yeah, what that created in me was a sense of urgency that no matter who I met with, I had a predetermined outcome in my mind. Yeah, 
And that set the stage for the meeting of breaking myself of that habit. Now I want to make sure when I go into a meeting, I don't even know what's going to happen. I may not even want this person as a client. Mm-hmm. And so with this step, there's, there's benefits to approaching it more as if I'm here to add value and help. If this yeah. happens to be a good fit, I know I can add value, but there's also an, a likelihood that this may not be a good fit and it's going to save me time, energy, and headache in the future. I've also heard it said that the problem with a hammer is that everything's a nail, hmm. right? Yeah. And I think to a, to a person who says, I'm, a, I'm in sales, that's what I do, then everything's a sale, Yep. right? Um, and, and that can be problematic. So not having a predetermined outcome is, um, you know, it, it takes more patience. I think it takes more wisdom um, and, a, and a greater heart of service. And I think uh-huh. to the the big bad wolf piece, it's like it's it's kind of deceptive in a way. Yeah, because like, I don't think we tell the person that hey, I, I got something to sell you, and it's really the only thing I got in my tool belt. And right. do you still want to meet? They'd be like, no. Why would I have that meeting? It's let's talk about all this stuff, and then right. in our mind, we're pushing them to something. And I think you had a great point. You know, if, yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I thought of this analogy. The, the uh, and actually, it's funny because I heard about it. I was listening to a uh, this about this journalist who got kidnapped by the Taliban. Mm. And he said, you know, um, they said we were going to go do an interview. And then I realized this is not an interview. This is a kidnapping. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and I was the one being kidnapped. And um, obviously he's telling the story. So he survived, thankfully. But it's the idea that like someone said, a bad a bad advisor would say, hey, come take a walk with me. I want you to journey with me. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, wait, are you, is this a, are you, am I Am I the victim here? <laughs> yeah. Like I thought I w- you were my friend and yeah. suddenly I'm the prey. That's right. right. Yep. And I think it's, I don't think people are willing to talk this frankly about the business, which is why I love this podcast, but it's like you, you, you can sell things to people. You need to sell things to people, yep. right? Businesses without revenue are not businesses, That's right? right. Yep. But it is, what is your predetermined outcome? Yep. And I think there's two ways to approach that. And I, I had to get over the point where it's like, oh, our advisor's out there trying to take advantage of people. I don't believe that. Either it's all you know is these are my products I have to sell and I have to make a living and, and and this is just the way it is. Uh-huh. If that's the case, then just really make sure that you are only doing that to people that need it. Yeah. Don't do it to everybody that walks in your door. Or you say, I want to I want to broaden my spectrum of uh, solutions. So more likely when somebody walks in, I will have something for them. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's a couple ways to solve it. It doesn't mean there's one way to do this business. It's just, no, number one on our list, do not have a predetermined outcome. Number two, don't be the yellow pad advisor. Stan, I'm going to um, call you out on this one. Okay, we're not editing the episode, so you got to be honest. You, I've seen you with the yellow pad, man. Yep. I mean, I'm just going to, what's going on? Who, who is the yellow pad advisor and why are they bad? Because yep. I've seen you with the yellow pad, man. So what's going on? Yeah, before it was just a yellow pad. Oh, okay. I'd maybe bring in a fact finder, but I deviate from it. Today it is yellow pad, fact finder, balance sheet, agenda. It's the idea that I'm not going in there and winging it. Ah, okay. Yep. And, and so, being prepared for a meeting, and, and somebody may say, well, Stan, you've never met him before, but what is the impression I want to give them? That I actually have a process for that first meeting. Yeah. That it's not just a, hey, come in, and we're going to hope something comes out of it randomly. It's like, oh, he actually has an agenda with areas to cover, and oh, he gave me a copy with a pen so I could take notes. It, it's don't just show up yellow pad in hand, which is kind of how I was taught to do the business. And I look back, and I was like, we always forgot to ask something. Mm. Or I didn't write it down in a way that I can remember. And so it's that process of that meeting that it's like, you can have one, just make sure there's something else with it. But if you go into a meeting with just that in hand, unless it's a high level, this person doesn't even know what we're talking about. I'm just going to have lunch with them and we're just talking. Right, right, right. And you pull out notes. Here's our agenda for lunch. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, whoa, why are you writing all this stuff down? There's a time and a place. 
But if they're coming to your office and there is an intention about like this is a financial planning meeting, yeah, be prepared, be professional. And I think that it's a great from the from the customer perspective, from the client perspective. You know, what are the talking points? People want to feel like, are we halfway through the meeting? Are we 10%? Are we 80%? What are we going to talk about today? Mm -hmm. I think that's when agenda can serve them and they can feel like, okay, I know, I know it's, I know the journey. I know the journey here and I'm a part of it. Right. Yep. And I think that for the the, the advisors, if that's like, oh, intimidating, I don't have those, it's, it's less than you might think. It, It can be like we have legacy and it says initial questions estate planning, tax strategy. Like we just kind of list out different areas we can talk about. And I have a fact finder there that I can flow with too, that I've made some notes about whiteboards strategies that I can get up and teach on. Like it doesn't have to be a lot. It's amazing though, from perception from a client, something is way better than nothing. Yeah. Third one is don't be lazy. Like how can you be lazy in a meeting? It's not like, you know, it's a workout. So what, what does it look like to be lazy in a meeting? Uh, most obviously is sitting the whole time, maybe even slouching. You know, it's just yeah. the idea that it's just like, hey, let's just, where's this thing going? I'm going to take your prompting, maybe ask some questions. You know, it feels like just like a, a downer meeting and they're going to yeah. leave like, I guess we did something. But you contrast that with standing up, teaching at a whiteboard and, and you, the, the energy in the room just elevates yeah. and, and that has to be a goal. I think that it's a challenge for you listening to ask yourself, you know, are your meetings full of energy or are they just, you know, we're getting through an agenda. I mean, finance in general is not exciting to people, you know, like, but can you, for the first time, and we get this feedback from clients, like I've never had a meeting like this before. Like I'm not going to dread the next one. Oh, that's really, I mean, that's, and it's amazing how often we meet with clients from all levels that they're surprised by the meeting they had with us. I think there's a few things and you mentioned one of them and it was really specific is leaning back. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there is a posture, physical posture that you can and should take in a meeting and ones you should not take in order to communicate your level of interest. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at two people sitting together at a restaurant, you can tell if someone is actively listening or someone just eh, right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And so, the other part of that is that I know for you, you are looking for, and, and those who are listening do the same, you're looking for every opportunity you can to be a teacher, mm-hmm. to be the authority on something, not in a domineering way, but to, to, to communicate, I understand, I can lead you, I can guide you, and also an idea generator. Mm-hmm. And so, Stan, I, I know that when I look in on a lot of your meetings, you're up at the whiteboard because that communicates that you're ready to teach, you're ready to help someone else understands something, you understand some, you, you know, you, you have something you want to pass on to them. And it's frankly just a more interesting meeting when yeah. you're on your feet. And even kind of think of white belt whiteboarding is just summarizing things they're telling you in the moment. Yeah. Just put oh, it you on have the board. A business. What's the name of the company? Oh, it's an right. LLC. Oh, how much, what's the ownership of that? And all of a sudden they're looking and, and for the first time seeing visually like, oh, this seems kind of scattered or, oh, I, I don't know the answer to that question. And then you have a space on there where you're like, oh, that's a great question. Let me illustrate this. Type. Like that is so much more engaging and creative and, yeah. and fun for yeah. the client. And honestly, for me too, when I started doing that five years ago, it kind of reinvigorated in me the business. I was like, wait, this doesn't have to be sitting down showing mutual fund illustrations for the rest of my life. Like yeah. there's a different version of this business that it just seems to me like it accomplishes more. Yes. Number four, don't hide behind reports. I call this the PowerPoint problem. We've been to a presentation where it's, they literally just could have sent you the PowerPoint and you could have read it and that was the presentation. Yeah. 
And, you know, that's, okay, Captain Obvious, I get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you're going to read me what's on the paper, and I'm going to read it. And what else do you have to add? That's you right. Know? Um, so, it, it's just a poor use of time. I think, that, you know, that's an overarching principle is make sure it's worth their time. It's a mm-hmm. good use of their time. Um, you brought up something interesting. When you rely on reports, you don't create, and what was you mentioned? connection uh, there's no interaction i mean the idea that you're up on the you know whiteboard or the powerpoint point you mentioned is you're looking at their back yeah versus hey i want to highlight a few things in this report these numbers you can take these with you but let's talk about what that means for you right and let me tell you a little story you know i'm going to illustrate an example for you here like that the reports and i look back to my early training when we sold a lot of a share mutual funds american funds and I'd have these same old American fund reports. And it was this, I just brought that into every meeting yeah. like clockwork. And the client was like, okay, that looks good to me. I don't know. So are you saying don't use those at all? I think it's at times you need to have, and depending on your client, like here's some data to reinforce it. You yes. can take those with you. But if if that is the 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 foundation of each of your meetings is like I printed out this life insurance illustration and this annuity illustration or these mutual fund Morningstar reports that are showing past performance, like that is not going to leave an impression of like, wow, this firm is different than the other ones. Yeah, I think you touched on something that's really important, which is, so how is that different than any other firm? Because if they're talking to more than one firm, why would they leave what they have? That's not that interesting or exciting. Um, it's also not very personal. I, I really like that you mentioned something about um, people love to feel heard and to be heard. And when you're just pushing across illustrations across the table, they don't, they go, okay, cool. All right, that's interesting. Yeah, but, but there's no... You don't give them a chance to be heard. There's nothing to be heard. You know, you're just talking, talking, talking. Yep. And there's a time and a place for data intense meetings, mm-hmm. uh, reviewing cash flow reports. You know, sometimes our delivery meetings for consulting clients are like, hey, we're going to show you a lot of stuff. Like, here's your social security cross even point. Like, we're, we're doing that, but we've created the report where they're like, okay, this is, it's, it's maybe a little more than I need, but it's nice to know, like, oh, there's a lot of data behind this. Yeah. And that brings us to number five where, you know, don't try to accomplish too much in one meeting. But it feels like to some advisors, they would say, I'm just trying to really get the most out of our time together. Mm -hmm. So how is it negative? I have this story. I was 27 and somehow got introduced to this client that was selling part of a healthcare company and he was going to get 10 million bucks. And he was like 60. What about my biggest client by far? I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm preparing. He, I meet him in his office twice. We have fairly good rapport. Yeah, he's like agrees to come. He's like, my wife needs to come to a meeting. And he's like, I know we have a lot to cover. Can we just, so I don't have to keep having her come back. Can we do a two hour meeting? And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's go. You know, in my mind, we're going to accomplish so much. I got all these agendas and all these reports. And we're going to talk about this thick report here. And, and I think they took four bathroom breaks. And, uh, by the way, (laughs) unless they have some medical issue, that's not a good sign. (laughs) That's not a good sign. Yeah. Can we break? Can we break? It broke up the cadence of the meeting and I'm sitting here like, they're trying to digest an investment portfolio, estate planning, insurance policies, like, and, and we never met again. Because I think they left like, oh, that was a lot of stuff, but like, did he understand what we were going for? I just, I let that person drive my process mm. and I tried to do too much in a meeting. Uh, and I think a meeting should be split into two general categories is one should be high level organization fact finding strategy idea mm-hmm. where you're laying a roadmap and others should be really focused. So I'll have meetings where I talk to a client about estate planning. And if there's some insurance tied into it, we just talk about that. I have one next week with a client that's a pretty good client. And he's like, Sten, I just feel like things are kind of scattered right now. I've changed a lot of things in the last six months. And I'm like, let's get together and reset our roadmap. 
but I'm not going to sit there and talk to him for 40 minutes about his investment portfolio in that same meeting. And so I have to remind myself still, it's like, I can always schedule another meeting, right? but I have to make sure I don't waste this one. I can't leave a client with an impression that we're not getting anything done. So when you talk about number six, don't overpromise. You know, there, there is a foundation, foundation, foundational principle in investments, which is you don't, you don't make promises because mm-hmm. you, you know, you can't guarantee them, yep. right? Unless there's something in the contract about, you know, we guarantee you this, you know, benefit. Income or return. Right? Yeah. yeah, right. So what do you mean by don't overpromise? I mean, you said don't do this in a meeting. Don't overpromise. How do people routinely, over, I mean, again, we're trying to be an elite advisor here. We're trying to do yep. things differently. What is the standard in the industry that, I guess I'm trying to challenge it, like, why, when do people overpromise? Why would you overpromise? You're not, you're not allowed to overpromise. So how do people do it? It's when you speak in generalities and the tone is always positive as if you meet with a client and the solution is like, Oh, here's what you need to do. Yeah. This will work out great. You know, you're not really to a client that's like, okay, like, I don't know how, I don't know why, like, is there a negative to this or are you giving me the impression that this is like a magic solution? Yeah. So you, you had mentioned the idea, the idea that if you are just positive and and I mean solely positive and that you are over the top positive, like you'd be a fool to not do this, and this mm-hmm. is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, how you, you mentioned that would actually be a detriment, and it oh, triggers yeah. alarms in people. Yeah, I had a, a situation last year with a client, large premium finance case for a business owner, largest insurance case I'd ever done, uh, and I brought in a, another advisor, insurance advisor that exclusively does premium finance. Uh, and he, he had done so many of them for so long. And the impression that he left was like, oh, we do this all the time. The banking stuff will be easy. Like he's done it. The tough thing is, is there's so many people involved and we can't control it that it didn't go smooth. And the client business owner was like, you made it sound like this could be done in a week and we're three months in. And so the idea of like, oh, don't worry about it. We got you. What I learned from that is that in the future, I'm going to say, hey, here's what we can control and here's the stuff where this could usually get stuck. Our hope is, is it goes smooth, but if it doesn't, you know, we've, we've set kind of a, re- a range of expectation right. versus a, oh, we have you, this will be fine. Of course, if you fund this account with this much, here's an illustration showing it's going to be $3 million, you'll be good. You're setting yourself up if, if you're not saying, but here's also an alternative. And, and if the alternative happens, like when we talk to clients about retiring, if the market doesn't do well, here's our plan for that. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, it gives them, it's, it's more of a sense of reality when people, even if they can't pinpoint it, there's a sense of, I'm missing something here. Like you're, you're only saying this is great and all good. And I don't think people really truly internalize and believe that. Right. Even if they're not calling you out on it. Well, perhaps oldest cliche is if it sounds too good to be true. Right. And I think that there's a wise consumer has their you know, it's like, oh, it's, it, it'll, there's nothing that could ever go wrong. And it, okay, well then, why doesn't everyone in the world have this? That's you right. Know what I mean, it's a, there's never any downside. Yep. And okay. the catch is too, if a client knew to ask this, does the advisor put all their money in that thing? And too many times I've met clients. I don't want to actually drop our microphone, but you could have <laughs> just dropped your microphone. I ask clients, so sometimes I'm like, do you think your advisor's putting all their money in this thing? And this is even kind of more in the insurance world when you meet a, a client and it's like you have five insurance policies, you're not funding anything else, you own no real estate, you're not putting a lot of money back into your business. Like insurance is your solution. Mm-hmm. And we use insurance. I'm a fan of it. I started in that side of the business. But if it is the the end all answer, my guess is that advisor's balance sheet does not also have only insurance without anything else. Mm-hmm. And that can be a red flag. Most clients don't ask, 
But if they did, are you willing to kind of answer that question honestly? Yeah. So don't don't overpromise. Yeah. There's something internal within a, as a consumer that they that triggers something, and also um, it can just get you in trouble. Yeah. And I, and I think having clear and, and honest expectations is healthy. I mean, I I as a consumer, I appreciate when I say, "Why wouldn't a person want to do this?" Oh, well, maybe a person wouldn't want to do this. But if you have answers, cool. Then I'm more likely to. Say yes to it. Yeah. And if you don't have a predetermined outcome, you're going to receive those questions much clearer. I've heard from clients that didn't seem like they ever wanted to answer that question. Like they always got a little argumentative and like, hey, don't worry. Like you're hiding something at that point and the client feels it. Like the meeting should be, oh, what do you get paid? Well, if we do this, here's kind of what our fee would look like. Here it is, cards on the table. Like that'll right. leave them with an impression. And if they don't like it, well, wouldn't you rather know sooner they're not going to be a good fit? Yeah. Versus trick them. And then all of a sudden you have an angry client later that's like you got one over on them. The last one I think is really interesting. Don't badmouth other advisors. I don't know that uh, you know a lot of advisors would flat out say, "Oh, that that person's a you know," bleep, 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 bleep. you know. I don't think that's it. But what are the ways that people do badmouth advisors, and then why is why is this a big no no? I emotionally get taken back to a scene, and I can I'm living it now, where I was twenty eight, maybe. And somehow got a meeting with a CEO of this, you know, gas company locally. Um, and they were about, it was about their 401k plan and they had it with a very well-known name. I'm in there, got my stuff ready. And I spent the first few minutes essentially talking about what I knew of that company and what I think they were doing. And there was probably six people in the room. What do you, what do you think they were doing as in what do you? Oh yeah, they usually do this and oh, I, I probably wouldn't do that. And this guy stops me and he says, uh, we're not here to talk about them. I just want you to talk about you. And it was just like, Ugh, you know, gut check, room's quiet. But it was a great lesson for me that it's like, yeah, I don't need to talk about them. Like, I'll just talk about me, what I'm seeing in the market, why this would be a good solution. Yeah. And so I think there's subtle ways of doing it, which a client might feel like, man, we kind of, that's just a negative thing. I don't want to work with somebody that just talks bad about other people. Or there's really overt ways of, of just saying, oh, this is terrible. Why would they do this? Uh, and there's so many ways that can get you in trouble. One, who who wants to work with somebody that's, you know, doing that? I know if I was in a meeting, my general sense was like, they just talk bad about that. The other part of it is you're, you're insulting a decision they already made. That's big. I want, you yeah. to, I want you to repeat that. This is why you don't badmouth other advisors is, say that again. The client is the one that made the decision at the end of the day. So if I'm throwing under the bus their portfolio or, hey, this insurance or your state, whatever it is that I'm trying to, say we have a better solution for mm-hmm. if the way I pose that is this was this is bad, this is garbage, what's going on yeah. here? I'm essentially telling the client, you made a really bad choice. Yeah. And they're either going to defend it or they're going to stay quiet and it and you won't hear from them again. So I think some positive ways to approach that if you find that they have made a decision that you think was a poor one to say, tell me why you made that decision. Tell me what based on what information did you make that choice? That's just gathering information versus going, man, like this person tricked you. Like, and again, yeah. that may have been a reality or you might go, well, that, that seems like a an interesting decision to make. Yep. I think that even that language is pretty neutral. Like, well, it's an interesting decision. Tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. That's much more inquisitive than it is. I'm a know-it-all. That's right. And they're a jerk. Because the other thing is maybe they don't not like that person, but you just, maybe you you have more experience or you're more creative. You don't want to get them in a position of defending the person that you're trying to get them to fire. <laughs> like that's kind of what you're doing. Yeah. But you're also creating some suspicion that most likely they liked that person when they met him also. Yeah. 
that that advisor said good things and they're like, okay, now you're telling them they didn't. Like, why are you any different? Yeah. So this is something you you mentioned um, that when you make it about a prior poor choice, that their thought process after the meeting, which is not what you want them to be thinking about after a That's meeting right. with you is the past. Mm-hmm. They're going to be thinking about the past versus their future with you. Yeah, which is a strategy meeting. Everything's a straightforward looking creative strategy meeting. We want them to leave with like, oh, hopeful future uh, new outcomes. And you're not going to do that if you get hung up on the past, reflecting on decisions they made that are bad, trying to position advisor in a bad way. Yeah, they're going to feel way worse. The, the dominant feeling is going to be, oh my gosh, what do we do? Versus I'm so excited about this guy, right? This yep. new guy. Right? And typically my gut instinct goes to like, I'm, I'm confused by this. I don't understand why they chose to do this at the time. Our, our process is a little different than this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I move forward from there just talking about us and what we do. Right. So I don't miss the opportunity to say something it may be off here. I'm not sure why they did that. Sometimes the client would be like, yeah, it didn't really feel right either. I'm not sure. I tried to ask some questions. Yeah, or at the like, time, that might have been the right decision, but we're going to do something different now. Yeah. What got you here isn't going to get you there. Yeah. Right? So let's move on, water in the bridge, and let's. I'm seeing some stuff here that we need to fix. You know, because I'm not saying, hey, you're great. Good luck. Like, why yeah. would they need to work with us? Yeah. There's opportunity, but we're going to focus on the opportunity, not yeah. the, the past. Well, that's a decision you made 10 years ago. You're at a different place in life. you got three kids now. You know, your business has grown. Mm-hmm. We would probably do something different now, that's which right. is not saying, you know, you're dumb for doing what you did. It's like, hey, let's do something different now. Yep. So I, I haven't added the sound effect for the bonus, but we are going to have a bonus. <laughs> uh, there you go. Thank you, Stan. Thank you. Uh, so here's our bonus under seven things uh, you shouldn't do in a meeting um, is uh, take your own meeting notes. And the reason we added this as a bonus is because not everyone is in a position where they can have someone else in a meeting taking notes. We would advise you to not have your administrator do this, your support person. So if you are able... Who are some people that you would have take those meeting notes alongside you and why is that a good idea as we wrap up? Yep. I, th- I think if you can't do this now because you say, hey, Stan, I'm a solo shop or I just have some you know, admin help and relationship managers, but uh, then this is something to aspire to because I didn't do it for a long time and when I started doing it, it was a game changer. Um, this can be a, a junior advisor, uh, a pair planner, uh, or even a, a senior partner, somebody you partner with. There's two roles in a meeting. There's writing notes and staying organized. So follow up is much easier and there's a roadmap. Right. And then there's somebody that is the the teacher, the listener, the engager, uh, and you can't do both. And when I've had to do both in the past and you, those listening may still have to do that, it's hard to do both really well. So the idea of um, really being able to be fully present with the idea generation and the connection with someone versus stopping and writing. I know we were actually at a meeting for our company. Um, it was two days ago. And I, I just had to literally stop the meeting a few times because I like, hold on, I got to write this stuff down. And it, and it would have been a much better use to have my admin and in my situation admin. But for others, it's like, how great would it be if you could fully be present in the conversation and the idea generation versus stopping having to document? Yep. And so then, and there's a, a few times you mentioned um, that one of our planners had brought something to you and you're like, well, I had not even thought of that. Because mm-hmm. they just were observing and said, you know, Stan, you didn't mention this, but what if we did this? Oh, yeah. So you're gonna, you're not going to just have them there to document, but also because that other perspective is going to uh, unearth other opportunities for the client, yep. which is yeah, a great I don't go to any meetings client. alone anymore. I mean, unless it's a, hey, friend, we're catching up and I'm going to lunch. But like if it is an intentional business, we're trying right. to accomplish something, there's somebody else in the room with me. 
Absolutely. And obviously the benefit of that is then they're learning about the ideas at the same time. Yep. Uh, so wonderful. So those are the things you should not do in client meetings. Yep. Uh, the seven skills of elite advisors and, and the focus on these things, uh, go through and, and maybe it's one or two that you start with to say, I'm going to really dial that in. Um, and over time, the hope is that you kind of build this and it will become second nature. It may feel, it will feel a, a little rehearsed at first that you're overthinking a little bit, but it will become natural. So here's the thing. We have a full list of these you can download and keep them handy. And you can go to stenmorgan.com slash 14, the number one for stenmorgan.com slash 14, and you can get the list there. Thanks, Sten. Thanks, bud. So what are you going to change in your meetings starting tomorrow? How are you going to become an elite advisor when it comes to this important part of your business? You can drop us a note, and I'd like to invite you to do that now. And you can let us know what you've done and how it's working for you by visiting stenmorgan.com slash podcast. You can also submit other questions you might have that you'd like for us to cover on the show. And to get a full list of these meeting skills, go to stenmorgan.com slash 14. That's stenmorgan.com slash 14. And as always, thanks for listening. We appreciate you.